Your Steve Jones Show podcast will start shortly. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Brewers Outlet, your beverage supermarket on Reagan Street in Sunbury. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. Oh, it's a home football weekend, the first one in 651 days with fans. Stock up. Imports, domestics, microbrews, best selection of beer anywhere. Wine coolers, water, soft drink snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day. Six great flavors of slushies in the pickle bar led by the barrels and the dills. Indeed, second to none. All at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury. The beverage supermarket. We're in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 to 15, Hummels Wharf. Online, sunburymotors.com. Kevin and the Chief tonight have shigalumming. Um, in action this evening, big game, tough game. Well, they got Mount Carmel tonight. Yeah, that's going to be a tough one. They're all tough ones for these guys. All three of them. Sealens Grove tomorrow at one o'clock. Well, they got Shemokin. Yes, exactly. And, Lewis, and now Lewisburg's Lewis, actually actually canceled due to a COVID case on on the team, so they are uh, out this week. Okay. Yeah, I got announced uh, last right. night. So instead, okay. Danville's going to be playing Hughesville. Hughesville. All right. Okay, so that's the story in high school football. Um, the story on the Yankees is that something happened to them that hasn't happened since 1924. That is they right. Were swept in a four, they were swept in a four-game series by the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, that's happened before. That's not unusual. The Yankees never once led. The entire series. Wow. Hard way to live. Uh, Toronto's won eight in a row. The Eagles, uh, let's see, are in action this weekend with Atlanta. Uh, the Eagles, in the, at the moment, are tied for first, a half game ahead of Dallas. <laughs> that is right, yes. But Dallas has the best quarterback in the division by a wide margin. Unfortunately, Dak yes. Dak Prescott was... I thought Dak Prescott last year in the four games he did play was spectacular. I thought, okay, let's see if he can sustain it. Then he got hurt. And nobody knew because he didn't play at all during the preseason. Came out last night, and he was just tremendous, I thought in the game. Brady was Brady. I don't really think you really need to go into Brady that much. I think, it, you know, it's the body of work is so extensive and so consistent that there's no need to talk about what he does. It's I, I think people just assume he had a great night, and he did. Prescott was really good last night. Good game. 31-29. Tampa Bay finally won it. Last team had, had the ball won. No surprise that the last team in that game with the ball, with yeah, I mean, there was two seconds left. I mean, this, I mean, Dak wasn't even out there for the last play. Um, 
because uh, they ran, you know, they, they wanted to get snapped to Pollard and just run a trick play and the whole thing. That's why Dak wasn't out there. But Dak played great last night. And uh, if you're a Cowboy fan, you have to feel a lot better. If you're an Eagles fan, it, it had to make you sick to your stomach. Yeah, you definitely don't feel great about what you saw last night from an Eagles fan perspective. However, that Dallas defense still has a long way to go. They still gave up 31 points last night. You're and not the 85 Bears. True. <laughs> but still, you're not, they, the, you're not the 85 Bears. A lot of the issues they had last year still were an issue last right, night. No, now, yeah. again, you're that, facing absolutely. Tom Brady, but they are still there. And the other thing, too, oh, yeah. is. I wonder about what Zeke Elliott's role is for the future and how that might cause an issue in the locker room. Now, I thought they had a great game plan. I think they did what they needed to do last night in throwing short passes. That's why when you look at Dak's final numbers, he had 58 pass attempts. Well, I don't Mm -hmm. think that totally tells the whole story because a lot of those were dink and dunk to try and slow down Tampa's pass rush, and it worked to perfection because of the injuries they had in the secondary. So I do. I have questions about that, but yes, I thought Dallas looked a lot better than I thought they would. The difference is they got a quarterback. You have a question mark. For now, yes. No, you have a question mark. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just. I'm not a. I'm not a buyer. I have not been a buyer since day one. Just not. But that's just me. I mean, you know, he may prove me completely wrong, and you know darn well that if he proves me wrong, I will say straight out he proved me wrong. I have no qualms about saying I was wrong about something. Can't stand when people get so stubborn about something and admit, like, no, 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 I I didn't mean it. Okay, look, it's okay to say, like, hey, look, the guy proved you wrong. It's okay. It's all right. Makes the show legit. I got it. Now, we got a lot going on in the show today, okay? We got Reginald Walker today. We got Nate Bauer today. We got the King today. All right. So we got a lot going on. But I got to get to this Rutgers story. Did you see this Rutgers story? I haven't, but I'm sure it's a doozy because it's Rutgers. It's a. I, how many times have I said on the show Rutgers is a financial mess? Plenty. They're just a well, mess in now, general, but yes. But now we have proof. Oh, by the way, did you see how many Penn Staters were out there last night? Connor McGovern, all right, Micah Parsons, yeah, Donovan Smith, Chris Godwin, and there was one more out there last night. Terry Killens, the umpire. Ah, I didn't know that. Okay. That's why I'm the host of the show. I mean, every time I turn around, <laughs> I mean, it's like, I feel like I have to justify my position here. <laughs> it's, I don't know. All right, so the Rutgers story. Abbott Koloff and Gene Rimbach from NorthJersey.com were the ones that put this story together. Um, now, I'll tell you the part I knew about. I did know, because I have mentioned on the show before, that Rutgers was borrowing money from the Big Ten. So I, I did say that. Okay, so that that part of the story for those who really listen intently knew about that because I've mentioned it a couple times. Like they were borrowing money from the Big Ten, but that's not the complete story. <laughs> so the forty-eight million that I mentioned, what did I mention that number? I think I mentioned that number 
probably what December, January, something like that, that they had borrowed forty eight million from the Big Ten. Well, it's actually here in the story that they did. So they have borrowed forty eight million from the Big Ten. But that's not it, just all of it. Rutgers Athletics total outstanding debt is two hundred sixty five million dollars. How much has Rutgers Athletics operating expenses risen since 2015? How about to the tune of 62%? That's expenses. Rutgers Athletics operating deficit in 2020, 73 million. Now remember, don't sit there and say, well, it's the pandemic, Steve. No, 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 no. This is fiscal year 2020. Ending June 30th, 2020. In other words, 1920. When they ha- that includes a full football season. That includes a full regular basketball season. Okay? This isn't the pandemic one. They lost $73 million in the last like big budget they had. Coaches' salaries have increased 90% since 2015. Since 2015, there's been a 38% decline in Rutgers athletic ticket sales, parking, and concessions. The amount of loans Rutgers athletics has received from the university to cover operating deficits? $84 million. The amount of loans Rutgers has received from the Big Ten in loans, as I mentioned earlier, $48 million, which is the number I gave you months and months ago. So last year, a union took the university to court in an attempt to get information on athletic division finances. A judge twice ordered Rutgers to release documents. Though the agreements were provided for the loans as far back as 2017, all of them were dated August 18, 2021, and signed by Athletics and the Rutgers CFO subsequent, in subsequent days. <laughs> That's never good. Additionally, only the updated version of the policy from June permitting financing from the internal bank to cover operating deficits was provided to the union. I expect a <clears throat> sophisticated enterprise <clears throat> like Rutgers to maintain better records said the faculty union attorney. He added that he believes it is completely outrageous for the university not to have a... Here's a beauty. They do not have a copy of the contract with the Big Ten. They can't find it. (laughs) Of course they can't. They can't find it. Now, I want you... Now, remember, okay, it was a completely different athletic director, coach, everything, when they enter the Big Ten. It's all changed. But they can't find the contract. They don't know where it is. These are monies coming into public coffers, he said. If you don't even have the contract, how do you even know what you're entitled to? I mean, what? What? Just somebody sits there and just remembers it? <laughs> the athletics division includes $70 million in loans, taken to fund Rutgers' two newest buildings, the Barnabas Athletic Performance Center and the Rodkin Academic Success Center. Two projects do combine for $150 million. One-third of it is covered by donations, another $23 million by state tax credits. 
A large portion of the loans taken for athletics has not gone toward buildings. Instead, they have covered ever-increasing annual operating costs that have ballooned with growing salaries while revenue has dropped as the football team has faltered on the field. Rutgers is hoping that the rehiring of Greg Schiano and a base salary of $4 million a year will lead to better performance with more ticket revenue and donations. Gower and Holloway, Holloway's the president, said the university is considering forgiving the loans to athletics. Emphasis on the word considering, Holloway said in a recent interview with NorthJersey.com, adding that he is not eliminating any option or committed to a very particular path. Given said that any decision that's made about what to do about these loans has to be transparent and has to be justified to every single person who's footing the bill. But the union president said that she could not envision a situation where loan forgiveness would be the right way to go. It doesn't seem that would be proper, she said. Right now, they've shown a willingness to engage in all kinds of accounting tricks to, you know, suit their own priorities and to hide what they've been doing. Once again, we turn to the corner office. S-U-I-T, that spells suit I'm awfully busy, don't bother me. Tracking money in and out of the athletic department can be difficult. When loans from the university are recorded as, quote, other operating revenue, and the university's support for athletics understated in financial documents since it covers whatever shortfall is left at the end of the year. For instance, Rutgers Athletics. Now remember, you can get this information from the Department of Education. For any public university, you can get the athletic department public numbers. Always. For every sport, football, basketball, that's why I can tell you what the shortfall is and everything. You just got to look it up. Doesn't take, department of Education has all the numbers. Now, private schools like USC, Northwestern, and so forth, no. But public schools, it's all right there in the Department of Education. So the Rutgers Athletics reported a $10.6 million deficit in fiscal 2020, the last available year of financial reports. But when subtracting reported cash that the university gave to athletics, the shortfall then moved to $39 million. Rutgers gave an additional amount in loans to cover the losses, which was reported as athletic revenue, which actually pushes the shortfall now to $55 million. Athletics then needed an $18 million loan from the Big Ten to close the gap again, which then brings the deficit to $73 million. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. None of this surprises I mean, me. I mean, the last time I saw something this creative, the IRS was talking to the suit. I believe that education, research, and service are the highest values of the university and are the mission that we should be uniting behind. But some people might feel a higher priority should be placed on athletics, given said, but that doesn't allow for this lack of transparency, hiding financial decisions, prioritizing, you know, spending on athletics at a cost to the rest of the university and then covering their tracks. Abbott Koloff and Gene Rimbach did a great job for NorthJersey.com in that story. How about that? Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. I haven't heard that that kind of creative accounting since Roger talked to the suit about exactly uh, suit. What what do these numbers mean? F O U L E D. That spells foul. Uh, suit. Uh, suit. 
I gotta go call a game. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> All right. We'll take a break. Rachel Walker next half hour. Nate Bauer, 406. King at 430 today. It's great to have you with us on the show. How did your game go last night, your match? It went well. It was it was actually a pretty entertaining game. It was only 1-0 at the half, Midwest with the lead, and then Danville scored three in the second half, two in the first eight and a half minutes, two of them from one player alone, and they then they hung on late 3-2. to two. Mucho cool. That's great. Yeah, so it was a very entertaining game last night. Hey, Mike Gross, by the way, is going to join us on Monday. I had a great talk with Mike at breakfast with him out in Madison. It was great to see Mike again. All right, we'll come back with more in a moment. Great to have you with us today on a Friday. Stock up at Brewers Outlet. It's it's tailgate time, people. Time to come back home. You're on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Party time, game time, or just fun time. Doesn't matter what time it is because it's Brewers Outlet time. The Beverage Supermarket has the area's largest beer selection. Imports, microbrews, ciders, and domestics. Pick from over 100 ice-cold 12-packs and dozens of 24-ounce singles. Soda, snacks, hot sauces, fresh roasted peanuts. Make it one-stop party shopping and don't forget the pickle bar. So whatever you're celebrating or just doing it up, Brewers Outlet Reagan Street Sunbury wants to see you. And thank you for your years of patronage all right next half hour reginald walker on the show we'll talk about last week's game look forward to ball state same story with nate bauer 406 king at 435 today today's show is brought to you by brewers outlet reagan street in sunbury the beverage supermarket and we're in the sunbury motors studio sunbury motors 4th street in sunbury Sunbury Motors Kia routes 11 and 15 Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. We're tailgating this weekend. The first one in time in 651 days. You need to stock up. Be ready. Let's go. Imports, domestics, microbrews, best selection of beer anywhere. Wine coolers. Now we're up to the studio, the sophisticated the wine coolers. You know? He also has a flask, too. Did you notice that? No good! No good! No Water, soft drink snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day. And the pickle bar, led by the barrels and the dills, indeed second to none. It's all at Brewer's Outlet. Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. Corey will take great care of you. We're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. 
Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, online at sunburymotors.com. Uh, Kevo and the Chief, the award-winning play-by-play duo. It sure going to be time for a tough one with Mount Carmel. Here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, 7 tonight, 6.30, the airtime. You can also see it on YouTube, right? Right, the WKOK Sports YouTube channel. Same for Sealand's Grove, oh. but that's the SBC Live, SBC Sports Live YouTube channel. But that's that's tomorrow at 1, though. Correct. So, yeah. All right. So let's get to Reginald Walker. We're going to talk some Penn State football with the former Nittany Lions. Sir, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Stevie Jones. <laughs> How are you? Doing great. How are you? I'm great, and that he, I don't think anybody gets that. Okay, but that that's, goes back that's the, to that's, oh yeah, that's a Bill Rafferty thing. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. One of the great stories you have told me, um, and and it was interesting listening to you wax poetically about the Boston Patriots and all those things. I, I don't know how. But your memory and recall is tremendous, and I applaud you for it. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell everybody quickly the story he's referencing. 2001, Penn State is in the Sweet 16. So uh, we go to get dinner at a restaurant in Atlanta. We go in there, and sitting in, in the restaurant, uh, Rudy Martsky, who was the old columnist for the for USA Today on Media, he was one of them, and Bill Raftery. And Raftery looks over at me and he says, Stevie Jones, <laughs> he says, isn't the round ball more fun than the oblong ball? I said, yeah. I said this week it is. <laughs> that is hilarious. And, and speaking of that team, uh, I just saw him the other day, Titus Ivory, part of that team, hit a big shot against Carolina to get to the Sweet 16. Yeah. Um, is an assistant basketball coach at uh, Queens University of Charlotte. Uh, here in Charlotte. So how about that? That is awesome. That's great. That is great. Uh, All right, so opening weekend, um, Penn State goes in, beats Wisconsin. As you know, I'm not one that gets too high, too low about opening games. I I use that as a starting point, although sometimes it can be a heck of a starting point. When you evaluated the game and took a look at it, Reginald, what did you think of the performance? Uh, I thought it was pretty standard for what I expect. Usually uh, defenses are kind of ahead of offenses at this point in the year. Uh, Coming out of training camp, fall camp, however you want to phrase it, usually kind of defenses know where they are, and offenses are kind of figuring out what they really do well. Uh, One thing about defense is it's it's read and react. You see ball, hit ball. Whereas with offense, uh, as you well know, it's timing, it's continuity, and remember, throughout the camp process, uh, a lot of times the defense is sort of, quote-unquote, serving the offense um, and allowing the offense to just kind of figure some things out um, and try some things as opposed to really giving them some things that they don't know are coming. And so I think with defense, it generally the first couple of weeks of the season it's going to look a little better. Uh, and I agree with that when you look at – um, several Big Ten games, right? Um, you know, you look at Penn State. Defense was great. Offense, they had to throw the ball. Weren't able to run the ball as much. Now, part of that is Wisconsin generally is pretty good on defense. But still, that's an aspect of it. Um, you look at uh, Iowa and Indiana. Indiana is not that bad on offense, and Iowa is not that good on defense. Iowa's good, don't get me wrong, but Indiana is not that poor uh, on the offensive side of the ball. And, and I can go on and on down that list. You look at the big game. Georgia Clemson. Um, 
Georgia Clemson. I'm going to tell you right now. Georgia fans and SEC fans are like, see, look what we did. Clemson couldn't score a touchdown. My response, you couldn't score one offensively either. You had to rely on a pick six to get in the end zone. So, uh, look, JT Daniels had more experience in terms of starts coming in than DJ Uyunglele did. But obviously both quarterbacks struggled to find a way to get their offenses in the end zone. Part of that is the early season and the defense is being a little bit ahead. Uh, Wisconsin plays a downhill defense. I mean, those linebackers are downhill all the time in a 3-4. And they're going to face another 3-4 this week in terms of scheme for Ball State. How much more communication is actually needed by an offensive line, Reginald, in your experience, when it's a 3-4 as opposed to a standard 4-3? A lot more because you've got to do a lot more math in terms of who's coming and from where. And then the other piece of it is, Let's remember the center automatically is accounted for because he's got to deal with a nose tackle or nose guard. So right there, there's a communication issue because if someone comes, let's just say they show both A-gaps, well, theoretically, yes, both guards will deal with that and be responsible. Uh, But in a 4-3, that center, if somebody's coming on the edges, that center can make that slide call one way or the other and figure that out. That center is not involved in a slide call, uh, generally speaking, when you've got a zero technique uh, nose guard right in front of your face. So that takes some of that away as well. Um, And then obviously with so many more people, really it's only one, right? But with more people standing up and kind of moving around, um, there's a lot more of where is he going to come from, how are we sliding, how are we moving. Zone protection, which Penn State does a lot of, um, is even harder um, and, and zone blocking is even harder in that 3-4 set because those two inside linebackers, you don't know if they're going to scrape over the top or come directly downhill. Now, again, these are two downhill defenses, meaning uh, Wisconsin and Ball State, but that is a factor in terms of are they coming downhill or are they scraping over the top and everybody else shifting or slanting. Uh, so there's so many pieces to look at, and that's what makes 3-4 defenses effective. If they're done right, they can give you so many different looks that it can confuse some people up front. Exactly. And that's a, a lot of people don't realize how much communication it takes. That's why I think this week that offensive line, because I've seen it already, and look, there are different ways of doing it. So everybody has their own way of doing their 3-4. But at least they've seen it. I think that's a big plus heading into this week. It's a huge plus. It's familiarity. It's it rarely, right, unless you're dealing with similar schematic teams, um, like this week, rarely do you get to look at previous film and equate a lot of it to the next game. This is a situation where they can certainly do that because let's do the math. Uh, aside from maybe the scout team the last couple of weeks of camp, uh, they probably didn't see a 3-4 all camp long. Um, and obviously back in the spring either because Penn State plays a more of a traditional 4-3 right. uh, type of defense. So th- this is also a, a thing about them having not seen it. And, and Steve, you know this, and, and, and I've talked about this a lot. When, when I was at Penn State and we played Nebraska, we hadn't seen anybody run the option like that. Yeah. So you have to unlearn everything you know and learn, play def- learn to play defense a completely different way. This was a Penn State offense that had to unlearn what they know about blocking a 4-3 scheme to learn how to block a 3-4. And, and to the positive of them, and it's, I don't know if this is on accident or just great scheduling, right? They get them back-to-back weeks, yeah. and they get to stay familiar. Yeah, and uh, and that 
I think that is a big plus for them moving forward, uh, especially in terms of the run game uh, and getting you know. But you, when you watch a guy like Noah Kane, for example, I mean, you know this better than anybody else, Reginald. You know, when you look at him, what do you see in him as a running back? Oh man, so many things. Uh, the vision, um, the suddenness with his ability to cut. Um, but the thing I love more than anything is. He does not dance at all. No. He gets north and south, yep. and he gets the job. He gets as much as he can, plus a yard. He's just one of those guys. He always falls forward. He gets as much as he can, plus a yard, every time. Uh, and, and then his size. Uh, to be able to move as well as he does with that kind of size, I haven't seen that in a long time. His, his lower half um, is, is, in terms of his thighs and lower legs, built like a guy like Omar Easy. His upper body is a little bit more built like Larry Johnson, that thicker chest cavity um, with the strong arms and hands. So it's interesting to watch him run the football because he's got a combination of so many different players in the way he runs the football. Yeah. Uh, Defensively, you talk about defenses being ahead of offenses. When you look to the Penn State defense on Saturday, which is right now the one snapshot we have, what did you think of them? What I like is that they they don't think. Um, They play instinctive football, and that's the main thing I saw is you don't see a bunch of guys out there kind of thinking about what they're doing and being a hair or a half a step late. Um, Clearly they, they did what they needed to do in terms of studying film and understanding tendencies. Um, you know, the, the, the game ceiling interception, that's a great job. And I thought the TV guys explained it well. Obviously, you didn't get a chance to hear it. Um, and I'll tell everybody the story of where I was watching the game in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they talked about was how um, it was man coverage. And when the back stayed in to block. Yeah, Brisker read the key that the, when the back stayed absolutely. in, he dropped back, right? He dropped. Yeah. That is the epitome. And, and, and it's interesting because yes. if that is a pass, and the back is going out on a route, what he knows to do is what we call step on his toes. You go attack that back, and you get right up in him. And so to read that and then give depth and get over to get underneath that route, I thought was excellent. Um, You look at the the pass rush, I think, look, and and, and no disrespect to anybody, but uh, Coach Spencer was one of the best defensive line coaches I'd seen yep. uh, in college football since Larry Johnson Sr. Yep. Um, and, and Scott Jr., I think, just based on obviously a smaller sample size, is doing an excellent job he so sure far this is. year sure with is. that group. And, and that's hard to find. Um, to be consistent, you have to give James Franklin credit and, and Joe Paterno, obviously, before him and Bill O'Brien for keeping Larry Johnson. You have to win championships at the line of scrimmage. And to have this repeated and consistently strong effort from the defensive line coach is almost unheard of in college football. So where were you watching the game? So I had so I had to listen. Well, I shouldn't say had to. Well, I listened to I, you. I, I will I will say that because I think you know that Jack and I did talk about how he read the key on that play. That's why I just talked yes. about it. yeah. Yes. Um, so I I listened to you uh, most of the first half. I was on my way. From Charlotte down to Statesboro, Georgia. So you had no um, idea what was going on. No, I had to. I, well, <laughs> um, so I listened to you uh, for a couple hours, um, and then I got to uh, Paulson Stadium. First thing I did was fire up the iPad and the app and get the game on. 
So I got uh, most of the third quarter and the fourth quarter in the booth. So I was watching the TV copy as I was preparing for my game, which wasn't until six o'clock, but we got there a lot early. Um, so that was, that was, that was interesting. And then Gardner Webb gave Georgia Southern a, a generally a really good Sunbelt team all they could handle. Gardner Webb ended up losing the game yeah. uh, 30 to 25. Uh-huh. Uh, but they had the ball just inside the 30 with about 40 seconds left. Um, and uh, they've got a nose tackle at Georgia. So he's going to play in the NFL. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, they just brought six or seven of those last three snaps and just overwhelmed that offensive line. They, that's how they got out of there with a win. Final question. Uh, there are going to be several players that are veterans on this team. Because I was talking to Juice Scruggs last night, and Juice said, I'm so excited I've never played a game at Beaver Stadium in front of fans. Now, this is the second year starting. Well, he started last year, so there were no fans. So that made me think about the number of guys. Kevon Lee, Keziah Holmes, Keandre Lambert-Smith, Parker Washington, Juice, and there's a number of guys that have never played before fans in the stadium. So if I were to bring you in to talk to, these, uh, talk to them, what would you tell them about the experience of playing in that place? Do not fall down from the, the chills that you're going to get the first time you run out of that stadium when that place goes nuts. That's number one. Don't fall. Don't lose your balance. Don't lose sight of whatever, right? Just get to the sideline first um, when you come out of that tunnel is number one. And then number two, uh, feed off of them, but don't play for them, right? right. And, and what I mean by that is take the energy that they're giving you, but focus on the task at hand, and you'll continue to get that energy back, and it'll continue to pull you through the game from an energy and, and, and uh, uh, you know momentum and all that type of stuff standpoint so play play with their energy but don't play for them play for the other 10 guys on the field that you're with at that time reginald walker it was so fun talking about the oblong ball with you <laughs> Jones. and by the way you made a celtics reference i just have to say this shout out to larry bird i agree and did they have a little bit of bad luck right after that? And I don't mean this in a bad way. I know. Lenny Bias and then Reggie yeah, Lewis. I mean, I are you kidding me? Awful. Oh, my goodness. Awful. I mean, that dynasty wow. could have continued for a long time. Yes. Uh, what would have been? Reginald, always a pleasure, my friend. Great, uh, great luck this week uh, to you and your broadcast. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. You be well. Reginald Walker, Nate Bauer next half hour. Don't forget Shikalumi football tonight, 630 with uh, Kev and the uh, Chiefs, 7 o'clock the kickoff, right here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way? The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Caught by Godwin for the touchdown. 
The Tampa Bay Buccaneers who went a rapid three and out on their opening drive. This time go 94 yards, nine plays. First touchdown of the season is Chris Godwin, the former Nittany Lion, getting it done. All right. So, and then, but the means now the Eagles are right now in first place. For the time being. I would take a picture of the standings now. <laughs> that may not be a bad idea. You know what? I have no idea how good Philadelphia is. I mean, really, I don't think anybody does. I mean, I don't think they're that good, but I, I don't know. They could surprise all of us. I still think they're going to be right around 500. I think they're going to struggle to get the six wins. I wouldn't necessarily be shocked by that either. Uh, now I'm not. I'm not trying to be negative, Nelly. Here, I mean, that's that's not what I'm trying to be here. Uh, it, it, no, no, I, I don't see it. But I also think they're in, the, in a division where you can win games because um, the Giants aren't really that good, and Washington is okay. But who knows how good their quarterback deal is? And the Eagles too have the one of the easiest schedules in the league too, so I think that could benefit them maybe depending on. Well, normally finishing are. last does that for you. Uh, um, so. Exactly. <laughs> I am leading toward them for this game with Atlanta as a dub. I don't. I have no idea how good Atlanta is. I don't think they're that good either. I think it's a relatively even game, but Atlanta has not been able to win at the new stadium at all. In the last, yeah. Especially the last three seasons. So there's that. But now the Eagles aren't going to have Rodney McLeod. And I think that's going to be major problems because Marcus Epps and Kevon Wallace have not had a good preseason. So that worries me. And Jalen Hurts, I mean, when he was in the preseason game. Oh, that's right. He only played 10 plays. All right. A man of mystery. 